During the Christmas season, it's common for some of us to get numerous invitations. Sometimes you're like, I don't know what to do with all of these invitations. How do I say no gracefully if I don't want to go to something like those office parties and all other kinds of things? Not this year, though. Not this year. That's one thing we got off doing this year is turning down all of those invitations of things we don't want to go to. Uh, For the benefit of those of you who are listening uh, via an app in the future on our website, the radio, etc. It is now December of the COVID year. So if you're like, what is he talking about? I'm listening to this five years later. It's December of COVID year. So many of our holiday plans and so many of the events we're used to have been canceled. Life has been completely interrupted. It has been completely disrupted. And while at times not just this year, but other times in our life, it seems like life is put on hold. The kingdom of God is never put on hold. It is always moving forward. And if you don't believe me, well, when you get to heaven, ask Abraham, uh, who waited 13 years between chapter 16 and chapter 17, as we saw last week. But then God showed up. And just a quick review of last week, he said in chapter 17, verse 4, As for me, keep bank that word, God's saying, as for myself, behold, my covenant is with you and shall be a father, and you shall be a father of many nations. And then jump down to verse seven, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. So he's making these promises to Abraham. And then he says, to be God to you, which we said last week is the greatest promise ever. No greater promise than that. God says, I will be God to you and your descendants after you. So Abraham has been waiting for the promise of God for a son. Yet during that time, God's invitation to him, his continued invitations to know him and grow in him have not stopped. And that's the same both then and now. God's invitations, God's kingdom is never put on hold, even though things in our lives may be going on that seems to be putting our life on hold. And so the title of our message today is an invitation to the eternal family gathering. So you might have your Christmas plans changed this year, but still there is an invitation to you and to me to the eternal family gathering. Well, let's pick it up where we left off at Genesis chapter 17, verse 9. And and, and God said to Abraham, as for you, now he's still talking to Abraham in the singular, Now, remember, he's verse four. He said, as for me, God says, this is my part as for me, verse four. But now verse nine is this is your part. But as for you, you shall some versions say you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Now, this is something we find ourselves coming back to over and over and over again in the Bible. And we must remember this, that it is God that takes the initiative with us. God takes the initiative in the covenant with Abraham. Some people say, oh, no, no, I just went to church on my own. Somehow, God took the initiative with you to get you there. And so uh, we see here, God says to Abraham, as for you. Verse 4, he says, as for me. Now here, he says, verse 9, as for you. What, what, is, what does that mean? We see that God takes the initiative, but a response is required on our part. Let, let's put that in, in different language. God takes the initiative in his invitation to people, to you. If you're not a Christian, and we're glad you're here with us today. He's taking the initiative in the invitation to you, to the kingdom of God, and the promises that come with us, with it. But then, having heard the invitation, you get an invitation to a party, what do you have to do? You have to RSVP. And then, you actually have to go. 
And so, in the same way, we have to choose how we will respond to God's invitation. Let's go all the way back up to verse 1. God said, I am Almighty God. Would you agree that's God's part? That's God's part. And then he says, our part, walk before me and be blameless. Because he is almighty God, El Shaddai, we saw last week, our provider, there is a response that God provides on, expects from us. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Obviously, we can't do that perfectly, but because of the blood of Jesus, we are considered righteous when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, let me ask you a question, quick quiz, easy question. This is an easy one, too easy. Is our response as important as God's initiative? No, it's really not. It's really not. Because some of you would say, like me, I was kind of dragged into the kingdom. My response was like, no, 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 but he dragged me in. So I would say it's not as important as his initiative, but that does not mean that our response is not important. So there's always God's part and there's our part, and God's part's usually way more important than our part, but but that doesn't mean that our part is not important. 2,000 years later, we sing about it, we just sang about it, we celebrated it at Christmas, God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 1 records the first words, Mark records his first words of, that, of Jesus speaking, and it says this, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel. That is the good news of the kingdom of God. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. The kingdom of God was in heaven, but now the kingdom of God is where? It's actually here, standing in front of you. Jesus saying it's standing in front of you in the person of Jesus Christ. That's God's initiative, agreed? God's initiative, but then there's a response required, and Jesus calls for it. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom. He said that he's preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. What is the good news of the kingdom of God? Now, some of you would say, we know this. It's always good to review it. Others of you may be news to you. It doesn't mean be religious. That's not what it means. It simply means this, that God made us. God, God made the universe. I, I know a lot of people think it came out of nothing. They, nobody's ever provided for me a, a, a good answer how that happened. But God made the universe and God made you. He put men and women on earth and he said, hey, I got a few things I want you just to do and we'll be good. Our relationship will be cool. And what did we do? Yeah, not so good. Not so good. We were like, yeah, later for you, right? You know, devil comes along. That's not really what God meant, is it? Come on, he wants you to be happy. Do what you want, right? That's how you're happy. Is that how you're happy doing what you want? Yeah, maybe for about five minutes. And then you got to deal with the consequences after that. So, so God put us here, told us how to live. We sort of thumbed our noses at him. And so that created a separation. That's not a good relationship. If one person does what they want and the other person is kind of sitting there going like, you do what you want. That's not a good relationship. So what did God do? A lot of people think, oh, he's just going to forgive everybody, which I always say, well, then why did he send Jesus to die on the cross? So what did he do? God, in his great love and desire for a relationship with people, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life in our place. So when you put your trust in Jesus, you get credited with Jesus' righteousness, his perfect life. In other words, the relationship is brought back together. And he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And so our sins against God were placed on Jesus, so we are forgiven. So Jesus says, all you need to do is repent. What do you do? You turn. Repent means to turn. You turn to God and say, listen, I'm guilty. I did it. And you believe or you trust in the good news, what? That God sent Jesus to live that perfect life in your place, to die on the cross for your sins in your place, and that by trusting in him, it will, God will count it as for you as if you had lived Jesus's life and on the cross as if Jesus had lived your life. 
and your relationship will be made perfect again. God takes the initiative. He sends Jesus. But we need to respond by turning to God and putting our trust in Jesus. So what is all this? Well, basically, it's, it's a call to commitment. God says, I will commit myself to you, but I do expect you to commit yourself to me. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we saw this back in chapter 15, they, they, they agree on this point. God saves us. Well, what does it mean? Remember we said when, when God saves us, he takes away our sin, puts him on Jesus on the cross, and declares us righteous, gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Theologians call that justification. That's what God does for us. And then he, he gives us a new heart, a, a soft heart towards God. Jesus called it being born again. Theologians call it regeneration, and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live with inside of us. So here's the question. How do you know you have a new heart? How do you know that you've been regenerated? How in the world could you possibly know? It's actually fairly easy. You know by your response to God. That's how you know. Are you perfect? No. Do you continue to sin? Yes. Are you sinless? No. Do you sin less? Yes. And when you do sin, you're much more prone to say to the Lord, I'm sorry, I know that's not why Jesus died for me. And so you can understand these things. Jesus told it to us in the very powerful parable of the sower, which is probably better known as the parable of the soils, which we've taught here before. And he, and he identified four types of soil. He said a sower goes out to seed. He throws the word of God out to people. And there's four reactions that we can expect. One is the person who it falls to the wayside. You know who you are if that's you. Your family, they put the hook in your nose and they dragged you here this morning. And you're like, ugh, maybe I'll get them off my back today, man. And the word of God goes out and you could care less. You could care less. Be careful. You might end up being dragged into the kingdom. <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> that was me for a lot of my life. I could care less. And then the second type of, of soil was, so that's the wayside. The second, the, the devil comes along, the birds of the air come along and just take it away. The second is the seed that fell on stony ground. Those are those that when trouble came or a little bit of persecution came, they gave up. They gave up. You know those little uh, weeds that grow up on the side of your driveway that are in about this much of dirt, you know, a little quarter inch of dirt? and then the sun kind of wilts them away, or a little bit of rain gets them, or a puddle or something like that. That's what that is. Let me tell you something, and I say this in all seriousness. I really hope for you and the, everyone watching right now that when it comes to uh, that soil that fell on stony ground, I really hope that COVID is not that for you. I'm not talking about the illness. I'm not talking about the sadness that people have gone through. God wants you to bring that sadness to him. I'm talking about just the whole situation that it has put you in, the trouble, the, the, the difficulty that COVID has put you in. I'm hoping that's not going to make you a stony brown Christian. I'm hoping right now that you're already thinking about New Year's resolutions of, of, of more Bible reading, of, of joining a community group, of, of better church attendance, whether it's in person or online, about serving God, about all the different things that God would have for you to do to keep your part of being serious about this. God's made the initiative. God's done what we need to do. We need to do our part. It's like anything else. You, you, somebody could hand you a, a registration for, let's say, the New York City Marathon. And they say, here, it's, I'm taking the initiative. I'm handing it to you. That, that would be God would do that to you. But you still need to train, don't you? And so we need to train ourselves unto godliness, the scripture says. And I hope that you will do that. The third kind of seed is the seed that fell among thorns. Jesus said, these are the people that the cares of this world, oh, they're always so busy. They always got so much going on or the deceitfulness of riches. They just need a little bit more. 
Instead of, instead of realizing that you, if you just cut back, you'll have a lot more money than if you just keep making more, they, 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 they just, you know, the thorns come up, the, the seed looks good, the ground looked good, but when the seed came up and grew, the thorns came up too and just choked it out. Choked out their spiritual life. Now, let's put our health issues to the side. But let's just talk about many able-bodied people as now we're getting some sense of a vision of, of, it's going to be a while still, but some sense of a vision where it is not as hopeless as it was, let's say, with, with this pandemic as it was, let's say, in the spring. But what's going to happen to a lot of people when things start to bounce back? A lot of people are going to be too busy, aren't they? They're going to say, well, I didn't do this and I didn't do that during that time. So now I got to do this and now I got to do that. Or I got to have some fun or I got to go here or I got to go there. So a lot of people are going to do that. They'll be too busy to return to the worship of God. You see, the reason is there's always something. And these responses, these three responses tell us where we are with God. Mark 4.20 says this. Jesus says, But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word of God. They hear God. They actually hear God, take the initiative. They hear the invitation. And what do they do? He says, they accept it. So, so God takes the initiative. He sows. Jesus is the sower. He puts out the word of God to people. That's what we do here. He's putting it out to all of us, me too. It's not like I'm not listening to him speaking. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And he throws out the invitation. They accept it. They respond to it. And there is a result of their responding to it. He gives it to us. They bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now let's go back 2,000 years earlier to Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. He's now beginning to speak in the plural, God. He says, between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. Now, if you are a young person here today and you don't know what that means, you ask your parents on the ride home. (laughs) I am always so happy to bring families together. (laughs) with intense and uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> and uh, one of the things we do here in the, in the church, if you don't have kids, you don't know this, when a kid gets promoted from one age group to another, we give the parents books about sensitive subjects to talk about with their kids. And they're like, you want me to have this conversation with a seven-year-old? I go, if you haven't yet, yes. Yeah. So if you don't know what that is, you ask your parents on the way home. Let, let's, let's get it to the rest of us, though. Remember Abraham is 99. He's 99 now. And you got to think, God says to him, hey, here's the covenant, man, circumcision. Now, I don't know about you. I would be like, excuse me, Lord, just a little question before we jump into this circumcision whole thing here. Couldn't it be more like Noah where he got a rainbow? I mean... <laughs> I mean, that sounded so much more pleasurable than this. That would be nice. Verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. To be circumcised is to cut away the flesh, symbolic of sin often in the Bible, and it shall be a sign or a mark of the covenant between me and you. So obviously, this is not what we would call Sunday religion. This is not some cheesy sacrifice that you think that people make when they they go to church for an hour or two every week and then you go your own way. This is personal and painful faith. That's what this is. Now, true, you could say, listen, circumcision could be completely superficial by itself. But if you combine it with what we saw in verse 1, walk before me and be blameless, This is what it means, and this is what it looks like to be a committed follower of Yahweh. This is what it means to be, to put it in New Testament terms, to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. This is God, and this is very personal, I understand, but this is God desiring to enter 
every area of your life, not just the areas you want to let him in on. But more than anything else, if we do some sort of a sacrament or thing like that or ritual, there's always supposed to be an element of faith to it. It's not like you do it apart from faith. God's not like, well, just do this and, and, and that, that will be cool. No, there's an element of faith to it. They sacrifice animals in the Old Testament. So they would put their hand on the animal and that would be symbolic of their sin being transferred to the animal. The animal would die in their place. Symbolic of Jesus dying in your place and my place on the cross. But there's an element of faith to it it's not like just, you know, just, you know, just hit the animal and kill the thing, and that's good. That God will be happy with that. No, there's an element of faith to it. But also, what is this for a man in this time? This is the brand of God. This is God, like, you know, do you know how the way they do it with cattle and stuff like that? And if you ever seen that happen, and they, take, they put it in a hot thing, and they brand that, that animal. So, it, so you know which, which cattle rancher that brand belongs to. This is the brand of God saying that, that you, having faith in him, eternally belong to him. And that's what a new heart is to you and me. We don't do this stuff anymore. We'll talk about that in a minute because things are going to be like, thank God. All right? but, but that's what a new heart is. That is the brand of God upon you. For them, circumcision was a visual reminder now, let's just stop here. Ladies, don't worry. I'm going to spare you. If this was a men's retreat or this was a men's conference, which I've spoken a lot of those things, I would get up on the soapbox and we would be camped here for a while. Okay? So, men, you use your imagination. Ladies, you just enjoy the fact that, that they're going to suffer. Okay? So, it was a visual reminder, a permanent sign, again, like a new heart, that God's covenant is eternal and there is no going back. Now, if you are a new follower of Jesus or you're one who just finds that you just, these old sins just keep rearing their ugly head over and over again, I can tell you that one of the most helpful things I have found in my life is to constantly remind myself, I am not going back. That's why I love, and I'm sort of working on a message to take place in January, but that's why I love, usually in January we talk about a few different things, but I love reading through the book of Exodus and, and hearing the people complaining and having God say to me, Jim, do you complain about a lot of stuff? And me, with tears in my eyes, going through half a box of tissue, going, I am sorry, Lord, because I am not going back to Egypt. I'm not. I would rather die than go back to what I used to be. Seriously. I do not want to go back to that. You know why? Because I would be walking dead. I would be walking dead. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house, or, notice this, bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. What does it mean? Those are Gentiles. Those are not Abraham's people. Those are outsiders. Verse 13, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. I mean, this is a big undertaking. I mean, just this is a, I mean, <laughs> they're doing it with these flint knives, basically a sharp rock. Now we saw back in chapter 14, Abraham had 318 fighting men when he went to go free Lot, to rescue Lot. Now he's got to be well over 400 guys, maybe 500. And plus he's got all the boys now. He says, every male who's born in your house Eight days old and in an older. But you know what I love about this? I love that everyone is invited into the covenant. This, this to me is one of the greatest things about the kingdom of God. That everyone is invited. There is no elitist mentality. All are invited. 
all are welcomed in. Now, were there people who participated who didn't believe? People are so worried about that stuff all the time. Oh, we're going to be so careful. Somebody might take communion who doesn't believe. Somebody might get baptized who doesn't really believe. You know, somebody might come to church or do this or that who doesn't really believe. Are there some who participated who didn't believe, who didn't really trust the Lord? Probably. Probably. Humans get all hyped up about that. God doesn't seem to be. You see, here's the interesting thing. God knows who believes and who doesn't, but you know what he does? He still makes sure that everybody knows they're invited. It's like, it's like because he sees not what you are, friend, my unbelieving friend, and you are my unbelieving friend. He sees not what you are. He sees what you are becoming. And he, and he wants to invite you in. So they're still invited. Why would they be invited if they're really not God's people? Here's the thing that we have to get in our heads, really. We'll talk about it in a second for, for, for next year. God casts the net more widely than we do. It's just that simple. We're looking for the wrong people. We're wasting our time with the wrong people. And God casts the net more widely than we do. He is much more inclusive than we are. He is much more hospitable than we are. Now, this is what some people would say. Well, this would not be fair to the boys. Parents say this today. This is not fair to my kids. I don't want to push my faith on them. You know something? Nobody outside of Bible-believing Christians says that gobbledygook. Nobody. You have a friend who's a Muslim? Ask them. You have a friend who's a Jew? Ask them. You have a friend who's a Catholic? Ask them. Nobody believes that gobbledygook. I'm not, I don't want to push my faith on them. We are all called to raise our kids in the faith. You know, the funniest thing, I'll say this about my family. You know, I, I, two of my aunts were nuns. One of my uncles was a priest. One of my uncles, he took off with a woman in a congregation. That's not cool, right? I think it was a bigger scandal in my family when I married a Swedish Protestant in a Baptist church. I mean, really? Nobody talks like that. In fact, we should all, how many of us? All of us, I don't care how old you are. Now, maybe not be your thing, then, you know, dump money into it. Pray for it. But we should all work very hard to develop the best kids and youth ministry around. We should all work very hard at that. And we should get our kids and youth to participate because that's how it gets to be good. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, isn't that the parent's job? It is, but in this generation, our extended family lives all over the place. And a lot of them are not followers of Jesus. And the pace of American life makes it not easy for a lot of, for a lot of families. And the, and the current cultural conditions are so bizarre. They need help. And it's, and it's the family's job. We're the family. It's our job to help them. Well, why? Verse 14 explains it. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he has broke or he has broken my covenant. So here we have we see they had a choice. And it's a play on words here. And it goes something like this: either be cut into the family of God or be cut out of the family of God. That's the choice that everybody has to make. In other words, either receive the promise or reject the promise. There's no in-between. And although they may choose poorly, and a lot of them do, we want our kids to understand the choice they are given. We want them to have a clear choice. For years, there was a woman who, who came here and she described herself as a, a secularist and an atheist and she came here and, um, and I said, why would you come? And she goes, I like to hear a man who knows what he's talking about so I'm well aware of what I am rejecting. Now, 
in a sense, it's funny. In a sense, it's sad. But I said, you know, I admire you. Inside, she walked away. I remember thinking, you are not far from the kingdom. <laughs> and, we always, and we always want our kids to know that you may make the wrong choice. But you can always return. You can always come back. To be honest with you, most religious people that you're either cut in or cut out, that you either receive the promise or reject the promise, that, 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 that you have to make a choice, most religious people, they don't even understand this. They don't even understand that you have to really make a res- have a response to the good news of the gospel. They have their self-righteous religion or their religion of convenience. You talk to people, they object. Well, I'm a good person. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do that. I go, okay, that's fine. What about, well, that's called sin of commission. What about a sin of omission? They're like, what's that? You omit. What about all the stuff that you are supposed to do, that we are all supposed to do, and we don't do? The people are like, well, I, what, what, what about, I, I don't know. What didn't I do? You know, for most people, what didn't you do? Step one, Jesus already told us. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what most people have not done. Pastor Jim, are you saying that if you don't repent and believe the gospel, if you don't turn to God and put your trust in Jesus, that you won't be going to hell, that I won't be going to heaven, that I'll be going to hell? Is that what you're really saying? I'm not the one saying it. I'm not the one saying it. Verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife... You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Both derivatives of the word princess. So I guess she was a princess. And so now she gets a new name too. Remember, Abraham did last week. And I will bless her and also give her a son, give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart. When it says it's said in his heart, that's we're talking to ourselves. But remember, who's, who's in there with us? How scary is that? <laughs> that God is in there? Like, anybody who thinks they're good enough or they're a holy person, like that, I'm like, so let's just go inside your head for a minute. And God knows what's in there. You're like, ooh. That's grace, isn't it? So he's talking to himself and he said, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So now God changes Abraham's wife's name. They both have new names for a new stage of their life, perhaps to remind them as they're talking to each other of God's promises. When they would have this baby, they would, they would be reminded of God's promises. Now, like Abraham, Sarah had learned the hard way to wait on the promises of God. Remember the, the, the debacle in chapter 16 with her maidservant, Hagar. So this tells us what? Who is the one who's unable to have a child? It's Sarah. Because Abraham was able to father a child. But notice here, God comes along and he tells Abraham, you go home and tell your wife this. Enough of this. You go home all the time. Oh, God made a promise to me. God made a promise to me. God made a promise to me. You go home and you tell her the promise I'm making to her. It's not tell her, well, you know, you're Abraham's wife, so just ride the Abraham wave. No, it's, it's Sarah, I have a plan and a purpose for you. So let me ask you the soul-searching question. Do you believe that God has a plan and a promise and a purpose for you? Now, some of you are, of course, of course, of course. Then what are you waiting for? <laughs> but some of you are saying no. And we're going to have to deconstruct that a little bit. Abraham can hardly believe it. He, he laughs. It, it seems like maybe it's possible for the last 13 years, maybe he thought the, his son Ishmael that he had with the maidservant Hagar was the son of the promise. Maybe he's trying to explain to God, hey, God, I, 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 you know, 
I have a good plan for getting your purposes and your promises, you know, accomplished. Choose, choose Ishmael. He's good. We got the boy. He, he's the one. Now, if he's trying to convince God of a better way for God's promises, that would be a mistake. But it's very interesting. I notice a lot of times in the Bible that God is very gracious to people who have suggestions for him. I mean, he really is. Um, however, if you forge ahead with the suggestions or you don't even bother suggesting them, you just go on your logic and you do it, he doesn't stop the consequences. If you rush out ahead without the approval of the word of God. But let's deconstruct the fact if you think there's no plan or purpose or promise for your life. Super important lesson here. Super important. Abraham, it seems to me, Abraham, like us, thinks that his circumstances, being old, having a wife who is unable to have children, limits the plans and purposes and promises of God. Let me say that again, but let me bring it home to you and to me. How often it is, how easy it is for all of us to think that our circumstances are hindrances to the plans and purposes and promises of God. Abraham seems to think, and we can do this very easily, that God is ignoring his circumstances. In other words, that, that our circumstances make his promises impossible. But God shows his true power when he delivers on his plans, purposes, and promises in the midst of our difficult circumstances. So now it's been over five years for me since I got this, um, this wacky neurological disorder that I have. And I thought, honestly, that I was done. And, and if you're glad I stayed, then I can give you the names of the brothers that really talked me into staying. The two pastors who, who don't pastor here. And, and I thought I was done. And I know that some people got mad at me for being sick. Still not right, but doing better than I was before, for sure. Some of you are wondering why he holds on to the pulpit so much. It's because if I don't hold on to the pulpit, I'll be going, and you're like, he's in the spirit. No, he let go of the pulpit. <laughs> and I know that some people were mad at me for being sick, that I wasn't available at their beck and call all the time. I know a lot of pastors who've gotten sick, and their staff was particularly the people that got most mad at them. I was talking to one of my doctors one time, and he said, uh, how in the world do you pastor a church when you're so sick? I go, I have no idea, man. I said, it is the grace of God. I'm telling you, man, I have no idea. And he says to me, so, I mean, is, is, is the church really like falling apart with you being sick? And I was like, you know, it's actually gotten bigger. <laughs> really? How are, you, how, are you, how are you doing all, all, the, all the work you have to do with the church? And I was like, well, you know, um, we got a lot more volunteers than we used to have. <laughs> I guess they feel sorry for me or something like that. And so many of the leaders are just stepping up. It's like they don't need me anymore. And he says, how does that make you feel? I said, it makes me feel great, man. <laughs> And so now, I'm going to put it on you. We're in COVID. And, and there seems to be, perhaps, on the horizon, some visibility to the end of it. Or at least a much more controlled type thing. 
sometime maybe spring, summer. I'm very excited about that. You know why I'm excited about that? Because we all, and that includes you at home, we all get to know what it's like to start a church. Quick show of hands. How many of you were here with us since the beginning? Okay. We have some people in the back. They're in the other room too. A lot of those people like, I don't need to sit in, in the room with Pastor Jim. I've seen his ugly mug enough. And you've been here to start a church. You're supposed to start with a group of people. That's the way you're supposed to do it. We didn't want to do that. You're supposed to take a group of people from another church, ruin their church, and then start your own church. We didn't do that. We, we started with five people. Five people? Seven people. Five of them had my last name. One had a guitar and one I met one time. By the way, he's still here. And, and, and so that's how we started. And some of you are like, I would have loved to have been there when we got to start the church and we all had to pitch in and we had to jump into places where maybe we didn't feel gifted and we had to do stuff that we weren't really equipped to do and was excited to get to see the Lord work and all the new people coming and stuff like that. I would have loved to be there. You're going to be there because we're going to do it again. Maybe we'll get it right this time. Maybe I'll get it right this time. Verse 19 Oh, I'm woefully behind on time. Verse 19. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him faithful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. He's the father of the Arabs. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So by now, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting 25 years. God shows up and says, your son is coming. Your son is coming, man. It's going to be another year. Grab the team, grab the men, and let's circumcise everyone. <laughs> sort of like Joshua God says, we're going to take down Jericho, circumcise everyone and get the band, right? That's like, what are you talking about, God? In the midst of this, there's more promises and more blessings promised to Abraham that are going to spill over to others. And friends, I hope that's us. I hope the blessings that God has put in our lives and the joy that God has put in our lives is going to spill over to others. Yet the problem we have to fight is that our circumstances and God's promises are often at war in our hearts, aren't they? And let's let God's promises win the war. Clearly, circumcision points them to and reminds them of the God who saves. But circumcision can't save. We saw that in chapter 15. Nothing can save apart from faith in God. So knowing that faith saves, if you're Abraham, what would you do? What would you do? Would you go through with this? If you're the men and he comes over to you and says, hey, hey, been talking to God. Got an idea. Got an idea. It's like every time I have an idea around here, people look at me like I'm cross-eyed. And then I go, it happened while I was studying the Bible. I go, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> what would you do? Now all the women are like, I would tell them to go for it, man. Come on. <laughs> you say, why are you saying this? Because it's easy to wallow in our disappointments and expect others to be faithful in their disappointments. And Abraham has every reason to be disappointed. All this waiting. 
Verse 23, so Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among them, men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God said to him. Notice that, you might want to circle that in your Bible, that very same day. God didn't, he didn't say to God, you know, Lord, let me pray about this. He didn't waste any time. He didn't overthink it. He didn't rationalize it. He just obeys. Abraham, verse 24, was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised. Let's just stop there for one second. If you are a leader, if you are a boss, if you will have an influence over people in any stretch of the imagination, where you spend your time, and I think we all have influence over people, we just don't realize how much influence we have. Sadly, leaders often expect people to do what they are not willing to do themselves. And that's no leader. That's no leader. Not Abraham. That very same day Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in his house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Now, through 25 years of waiting for a son and now he's still got to wait another year, do you think that Abraham had any doubts in the promises of God? Oh, I, I, I don't know, but my goodness... I have, to, I have to say this, I could see where he would, but, but doubts and disappointment and circumstances don't stop him from obeying. Doubts and disappointment and circumstances don't stop Abraham from accepting God's invitation to the eternal family of God, nor from inviting others into the family as well. Because you know, you're going to invite people in and, they, and then people will be like, well, Abraham, come on. Why should we believe this God of yours? Look who he's been promising you for so long. He's not afraid of that question. He's not afraid of that question. People say to me, so with this faith thing you have, man, when, when's God going to heal you? I go, we got all eternity to do it, man. He's no, why should he rush? Do what he wants. You see, this is a big day of faith, man. I know a lot, I, I, you know, I, I read other pastors. Sometimes I'll, after I'm done a message, I'll listen to some, like, what does he think about this? And so many, so many skip over this kind of stuff. This is a big day for Abraham. This is a big day for the people of God. I think this is bigger than Noah entering the ark. This is along the lines of, of the people putting on the blood on their doorpost in the Exodus. This is the Old Testament church. You could even say this is the forming of the Old Testament church. This is a coming together in an action. And notice the various ages, the various ethnic backgrounds, the various economic and spiritual status. They're all invited into the kingdom of God. And I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you are invited in. And don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. No matter what you've done, no matter what you may do, if you decide today is not the day for you, you are invited not to religion. You are invited to be the son or daughter of a king. 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul would write about the kingdom of God, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. We might say there's this, it's not, it's not religious people and non-religious people. It's not rich and poor. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. As we often say around here, if you're, again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you cannot be too, proud, too bad to come to Jesus. You can only be too proud. That's what will stop you. Not the way you live, it's your pride. So how does one get into Christ Jesus. He said, we are all one in Christ Jesus. For that, we have to go to the Last Supper. 
the night before the cross, when Jesus talks about the new covenant in his blood. You see, on the cross, it was a, the Last Supper is a picture of, and the, and the communion is a picture of the cross. It was God's own perfect son on the cross who was cut. You and I don't need to be cut. He was cut for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If you will, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was cut out and physically he was cut in and spiritually he was cut out so we could be cut in. For who? For all who repent and all who believe. For all who turn to him and put their trust in him. And the New Testament teaches us that all the bloody sacraments of the sacrifices of the Old Testament are finished once and for all. Now what are we to do when, after people believe? We are to baptize them and teach them to obey. Circumcision, like all the rituals in the word of God, represent much more than just an outward ritual. They get us to look and they get us to point. They get us to point to the person and work of God through Jesus. And they also get us to look inside our own hearts and ahead to eternity. They remind us that God gave us his son. And do you know that when God gave you his son, he invited you and me into his heart. But getting into his heart he doesn't want us to live half-hearted for him. He wants you and I to surrender to him and receive by faith the eternal blessings he has for us as part of the adopted family of God. Later on in the Old Testament, Moses would write that would say this, Moses, uh, Deuteronomy 36, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. That's what this is about and the heart of your descendants. What does a circumcised heart look like? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. That, that live in the Bible means eternally with God. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would write this after Jesus sent to heaven, Romans 2.29, he talks about the circumcision of the heart. How is your heart circumcised? by receiving the invitation to the eternal family gathering, by turning to God and putting your trust in Jesus. Yes, this is a different season. I know that. But the kingdom of God marches on and the invitation into God's heart is still there for you and it's still there for me. When we partake of communion, we remember what the Lord Jesus did for us. And if you don't yet believe, if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, do it today. Be like Abraham. Don't wait. You may never, ever feel this way again. Don't delay. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, let's pray.